people have to know what the expectations are and they have to know how what matters to them aligns with what matters to the organization. And when they can start to make those connections, they'll also start to say, oh, okay, this place is really all about curiosity and continuous learning and innovation and really trying new things and not worrying about what happens with it. And personally, I really want to be better every day at what I do. So how can I do that today? And you do it on your own. And then it, the person sitting next to you sees what you're doing and says, oh yeah, that's really cool. I want to try that too. Maybe I could do this. Welcome to Bold Steps and Misses, presented by Hot Paper Lantern. In this series, we shine a light on those who push the communications industry forward, on digital marketing trends, on bold ideas that can be applied to your business and misses to avoid. Today, we speak with Sarah Whitman, Chief People Officer at Hot Paper Lantern. How do you define an organization's culture? And how do you inspire team members to want to live by example and feel comfortable taking ownership over themselves and their projects? Sarah has spent a lot of time thinking about how these efforts can result in tangible learnings that can be shared with the whole team. And that's what we want to hear from her about. I'm Jeremy Lerner, and this is Bold Steps and Misses. Thank you for listening. So before we begin, what does a chief people officer do? Oh, it's all about the people. Everything in the world that has to do with people here. That's ultimately what makes the whole business operate and run, especially when you're in a service business. So everything from benefits administration and all of the HR paperwork that goes with that, um, all of the management and professional development and training and resource allocation, um, working with the project management office, making sure that all of those elements of time and budget and um, staff skill is all aligned as well as the operational side of client service and how we are making sure that we're delivering the best client service while also um, protecting the business as well. So anything that you can imagine that has to do with the way people operate within the organization, it's all right here. Wow. <laughs> it sounds like you have to wear a lot of hats. Yeah, I think that's part of working for a small organization as well, for an entrepreneurial organization, for uh, any kind of a company that's trying to do big things, you end up wearing lots of hats. What made you get interested in this sort of work? So I actually started my career in public relations and in communications. I got my master's degree in, in PR from Syracuse University and started working in PR and a nonprofit and then at Peppercom and now at Hot Paper Lantern. And very early on in my career, I gravitated towards the internal workings of the business. So I raised my hand for the professional development program very early on, it was maybe just a few years into my role, and very, very slowly kind of picked off all the different things that I liked. And after several years, when I looked at my plate of work, it was much heavier on how we work with people and all the things that go alongside that. Um, and it just made natural sense for me to shift into that part of the business. So have you found that clients benefit from this sort of attention being paid uh, to the, you know, how the employees are working with each other? I don't think you could have a successful client experience without that focus on people on the back end. Because for people to give the best quality work to an organization, they have to have their basics covered. 
And that's what my job is, is making sure, not just their basics, but at the bare minimum, make sure their basics are covered, that they don't have to worry about all of the other things that could get in the way of doing a great job. So that's where I come in. If I could cover all of that and free up that mind space for somebody to get, give great work, then that's what you get. But if you're, if you're trying to meet people's needs, uh, what are some of the challenges in identifying what their needs actually are? Right, because it's not so simple to just ask. <laughs> like that doesn't really work. Right. Um, I mean, it's part of the equation is asking and listening and asking in different ways and listening in different ways. So definitely asking is part of it, but it can't be the only thing because one of the basics in an organization is really trust and comfort. And oftentimes that that's not just there as a given. That's something that you have to work really hard as an employer to gain. So if you start off knowing that you don't have that, you can't really just ask what do you need and expect to get the answer. So it's a combination of knowing what everyone needs and then figuring out what an individual needs and learning that through their work patterns, through their behavior, through all the tells that come alongside working with another human being. And over time, you start to develop that trust and an employee starts to kind of relax into the role a little bit and then you start to learn more and more and more. So what's enabled or what's made possible once that trust has been established among a team? Honesty, openness, and if you can have honesty and openness, then you don't have to be afraid to make mistakes and you can take a chance with a new idea or something that you maybe would have been too afraid or worried about saying before. And then that just builds and builds and builds, and so you end up with something really beautiful. You need that space to be able to, and that comfort to be able to allow all of that to come out. Uh, and can you talk a little bit around how collaboration might come together with autonomy in a workplace, and how these two things sort of interplay with each other? Yeah, I was thinking about this because in the model that we're creating at HPL, there's a lot of emphasis on putting as much as we can into our employees' hands and eliminating walls, barriers, anything that could hinder performance or trying new things or progressing, right? And with that autonomy comes the collaboration because once you have it in your control, you're able to make better decisions about who you need to work with to get your job done better. And when the walls aren't there and it's in your control, it's a lot easier to say, hey, Jared, can you help me with this? Or I had this idea, it's not fully baked, can you help me flesh it out? And I have seen before where maybe people would have an idea and not want to share it until it was totally perfect. And such a shame that is because it's never totally perfect and a lot of probably really wonderful ideas get thrown to the side. So yeah, if you own your work, if you can maneuver the way you need to, and you feel comfortable in your environment, you're gonna reach out to the people around you because you know you're gonna get it done better with the people alongside you. So you have a pretty unique perspective in that you interact with senior leadership, you interact with people in their day-to-day -day who are in the ranks doing the work. What are some of the challenges in sort of synthesizing the different visions that you are hearing? trying to keep people sort of on the same goal or the same ultimate you know end product what a great question that is I think there's probably an expected 
response to that of, oh, I have to deal with the business needs and then I also have to deal with the individual needs. Um, there's some truth to that, but everybody basically has the same desire and that's to do good work and they have the same fears and the same worries and the same limitations. So it doesn't really matter if you're dealing with a leader or you're dealing with an entry-level employee or anybody else. It's really more about building that relationship with the other person and knowing like you can count on me and what you're going to hear from me is the real truth. You don't have to worry about what my hidden intention is or anything like that. And if I can build that kind of relationship with different people in the organization, I can do my job way, way more effectively. We're going to change gears a little bit and talk about coaching, which I know has been sort of important to you and your own yeah. uh, you know, personal interests, yeah. as well as how it applies to the workplace. What are some of the things that are enabled by uh, a strong coaching culture? So I'm super passionate about coaching. Um, so first off, I'm going to just define what I'm talking about when I say coaching, because I, I've what I found is that it's oftentimes very confused with consulting or with mentoring. And it's when I talk about coaching, I'm really talking about um, the process of betterment, um, the process of removing obstacles and allowing yourself to move forward. So very solutions focused progress and how working with a coach or someone who can help you see and remove the obstacles that are in your way to where you want to go. A lot of times it's very difficult to change habits. It's very difficult to try something new. We're, humans are comfort creatures. We like the things when we know that they work. We like things when we know they feel good and we don't really want to stray too far outside of us. It's pretty common. Um, but if you could unlock that and feel comfortable and have a path forward, I just get shocked every single day of what's possible. I don't even know what's possible. It's so exciting to figure out, figure that out, you know? You understand the business vision. You understand where the company is going. You know your own skills, attributes, what you bring to the table. In a coaching relationship, what you can figure out is how do you align the two in the best possible way? And what's possible that you never even thought was possible before? So you can take it even further. And that has all sorts of implications for value, meaning, purpose, like all the things that really drive us at work that only just in the last, you know, what, five, ten years has really been a focus for organizations. I think larger organizations have adopted that mentality a lot, um, a lot sooner. Not all of them, but some of them. And uh, I think they're reaping the rewards of that. Can you talk through uh, any examples of organizations that might uh, you know, be, be championing this sort of approach in a nice way? Sure. So I was at a conference last year and sat on a panel with two different people in the pharmaceutical industry. One from AstraZeneca that I remembered. I was so impressed with what they do with their coaching organization, mostly because of their forward thinking in the way that they're assessing the value of their coaching program. So what they're looking at is how they can integrate AI and machine learning into their coaching practice. And it was fairly early days when I had this conversation, but it was so exciting to see how they are looking at all the different coaching conversations that happen in the organization and the impact of those conversations on careers, on products, on 
sales, you know, in all the different ways and how they could then kind of predict and figure out, you know, where best coaching works. Um, so they're one organization that I really love what they're doing. And of course, Google, it's like, what does Google not do well from these kinds of perspectives? But they have a, a wonderful coaching culture. And what I really like that they do is that they open it up, like most things that they do. They open it up to the rest of the world and share a lot of the resources that they have with other people and other organizations so that they too can learn from that. And I love that. So if you have multiple employees who all have their own personal missions for their own personal growth and development, all hopefully in the service of the organization's value, how do you find yourself reconciling differing points of view at a you know, juncture point in a complex project? So I'm reading this book right now called How We Work by Leah Weiss, and she is a professor at the Stanford Business School. The book is so interesting because it talks about your, your mind, your body, your focus, your attention, all of the things that make you show up at work and do well or not do well and all of this. And part of what she recommends is that if there are gaps, between your personal mission, vision, values, and the organizations, or if you're having trouble finding meaning in your work, that you try to look at it as either a top-down assessment or a bottom-up assessment. So from top-down would be thinking about your own individual values, and then looking at your calendar and doing a time audit of where you spend your most time and whether or not those activities energize you or deplete you and which of those activities support your values and which of those do not. And then how can you build on the activities that support your values and energize you? And this is all self-reflection, you know? And that's something I would love to see more people do in organizations of really truly just sit with themselves and figure out what's really important to me and how do I bring more of that into my day-to-day -day life? But what I really love about this is she gave this example of like an expense report. Like you have to do an expense report at work. And thinking about how an expense report would be viewed if this was your job, if this was your career, or if this was your calling. And how you would approach that differently based on all of those different perspectives. And by doing that, you can shift your perspective about any given task and start to identify how that task might be more aligned with your values than you thought or how you can align it more with your values. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It seems like it would be a challenge because we are, like you said, creatures of habit. We get very comfortable and we have our routines that become our lives. But what we're trying to do, it sounds like, is create some flexibility so that you can approach something with a new perspective. What so are some challenges in reinforcing new perspectives in people who are fixed in their ways? Oh, being on the wheel all the time, having so many different competing priorities and needing to be in so many different places at the same time, having your mind fractured and splintered focusing on a million different projects at the same time. It's really hard mm -hmm. to do that. So. Infusing ideas from the outside is important. Going outside is important. Just literally going outside and feeling the air and the sun and giving yourself just a few minutes 
respite. And working in an environment that values and respects time and space. And knowing that it's okay to be quiet for a little while. That's where creativity comes from. That's where good ideas come from. That's where everything a business is looking to accomplish with its employees comes from. But we have this kind of weird perspective or expectation that do more, do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. But you would do more if you could just sit back and think and allow the quiet to bring more to you versus you having to do more. A question around, I guess, enabling creativity hmm. while adhering to process and recognizing the importance of process. Uh, how do you go about establishing a process or establishing the ability to be creative <laughs> while not forgetting about the other? Um, there's So creativity takes time, it takes space. We talked about all that stuff. There's something really cool about creativity too, though, which is that when you're under the gun and you have to really just perform, you can do it because you know you have to do it. So if you give people and you give a team a small amount of defined time to accomplish something, set objective, very clear, they know what they're driving towards, and it has to get done right in this time frame. They will figure out a way to get it done. So. Creativity doesn't necessarily require the grand volume of time and space, although it's nice and it will flourish. You can have a process around creativity, but it has to be very defined, very focused, and um, time-oriented. And if you can do that and you have the right people in the room, then you're, it'll happen. From your perspective, you're able to get other people to help themselves in ways that they weren't even able to before they would have had that conversation. I hope so. You have to ask them, <laughs> but I hope so. That's my hope, that's my aim, and that's my personal mission and vision, right? Mm -hmm. And it aligns with my role, and it aligns with the overall organizational mission and vision. And we couldn't really ask for more than that. Must be doing something right. Many years of trying. Sarah, thank you so much. This has been a total pleasure. I hope so, thank you. That's it for this episode of Bold Steps and Misses. If you're looking for more content, please take a look at our website. That's hotpaperlantern.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to help others find us and hear about how business leaders are taking their bold steps forward. On the next episode, we'll be chatting with Alina Karras, Hot Paper Lantern's VP of Brand Strategy. And here is a quick preview of what's to come. Shaking the hands of a customer out, you know, on the streets is, is really not going to cut it anymore. So it's really about how do you start to create a brand experience from the minute a customer reaches out to you to the fact that they've made a purchase. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hot Paper Lantern team. Thank you for listening and see you next time.